Will you turn again in God's word to that eighth chapter of the Gospel of John? The chapter opens with that well-known account of how the scribes and the Pharisees bring that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus, who was in the temple, to test him according to the law of Moses. It is very interesting, isn't it, that they don't bring the man who was involved in that act of adultery. They just bring the woman. And Jesus does not immediately respond, knowing the self-righteousness, hypocrisy that they have in their hearts as they bring this woman to him. Eventually, he says to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And as on many occasions, the words of the Son of God came home to their hearts with great conviction. And beginning at the eldest of them to the youngest, they walked away from the situation, leaving only the woman there. And the Lord Jesus responds, we read in verse 10, Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman and said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And we read, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice he doesn't condone her sin or that of the man involved But the Lord Jesus shows to this woman mercy and grace. This is followed by uh, uh, one of the great sayings, one of the great seven sayings of the Lord Jesus, the great I Ams. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But it's with the, the, the... latter part of the chapter that I want us to look at this morning, those verses I read in verses 21 to 36, which are often overlooked by men and women when they come to look at this chapter. The Pharisees were enraged by what Jesus had said about this woman, that he had shown her forgiveness and mercy. And the Pharisees said to him, You bear witness of yourself, and your witness is not true. We see that in verse 13. And Jesus, in response to them, turns their attention to the law of God and to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, where we are told in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6 that truth requires two witnesses. And Jesus is true because he bears witness not only to the truth himself, But the Father in heaven, his Father in heaven, the eternal Lord God Jehovah, bears witness to him. And he says, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me, in verse 8. And we know that throughout the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that again and again the Father bore witness to Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal Son of God, the Son of Man. Remember, at his baptism, the father spoke from heaven, saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But I want us, as I said this morning, to look further into this chapter from verses 21 to 36. And there are six main points that I want us to look at in this passage. And the title of my sermon is this, Just a Decision 
or assured deliverance? I want you to put that question to yourself this morning. Just a decision or assured deliverance? The first consideration or point is this in verses 21 and 22. The danger which people face. The danger that people face. We read in verses Verse 21, these words. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. These scribes and Pharisees didn't recognize and others who were with them didn't recognize that they were sinners in need of the forgiveness and mercy and grace of God. They automatically believed that they had eternal life and they already had a place assured for them in the eternal kingdom of God. They were like, unlike the rich young ruler that we read about in Mark 10 who came up to Jesus and said, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Tell me what I've got to do, Jesus, and I'll do it and then I'll have assurance of eternal life. These scribes and Pharisees thought that they were already assured of a place in God's eternal kingdom. But what does Jesus say to them? You will die in your sin. And in these verses, he says it three times. You will die in your sin. And that is true of all men and women and boys and girls. Unless they are born again of the Spirit of God and they come to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is a reality that we must face. I read recently that on average in the world today, every hour, 6,829 people will die. So while we are met here for this hour's morning service, on average, 6,829 people will pass from life to death. In some situations it will be more, in some it will be less. But that is the average. How many of those 6,829 people in this hour will die, as Jesus says, in their sin. Not born again of the Spirit of God. Not believing in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not repenting toward God. Not having the assurance of eternal life through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Men are not at a crossroads. People have this idea that somehow they're at a crossroads. There is the narrow way that leads to eternal life and there is the broad road that leads to destruction and they have to decide. No, all men and women and boys and girls are born into this world with their feet firmly placed on the broad road that leads to destruction. We see that from the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And in verse 24, you remember that following the fall of man in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that there was a sword keeping the way to the tree of life, the sword of God's wrath. Dear friends, the consequences of sin is death, eternal separation from God, unless we come to faith and repentance in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus had said to one of these Pharisees, Nicodemus, you remember, in John 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. So let me ask you this question this morning in this service. Will you die in your sin? If you were to pass in this very service before it's ended from life to death, would you die in your sin? This is the danger which the Lord Jesus Christ points out as he shares these words here in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. And then secondly, he speaks of the domain which people are under in verses 23 and 24. He said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, he said to you, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Some might have thought, well, it's okay, it's all right, I'm not bothered about death. When you die, that's it, dead and buried, gone. I'm going to make the most of it now. No, says Jesus, you don't really even have life in this world at the present. You think you do, but you're not really living. You are of this world. Your domain is under the control of the God of this world, Satan. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not born again of the Spirit of God, then it's Satan, the devil who has his way in your life. You are his plaything. You say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I haven't got an addiction of alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography. I'm not like that. I'm okay. I, I live my life. I'm free. No, you're not free. You're not free. Indeed, like the scribes and Pharisees, the biggest addiction of all is self righteousness. That you think you're all right without God, that you're doing fine. That's the terrible thing, isn't it? The blindest people you meet are those often who sat in a church Sunday by Sunday. I look at our congregation in Sheffield, uh, where I was pastor until I retired. In that congregation, we have men and women who come Sunday by Sunday. They're not church members, but they think that by coming to church, that makes them right with God. And they give the appearance of being hardened to the sound of the gospel. Often people we meet on the streets of Sheffield who come in through our evangelistic work and they come into church for the first time and hear the word of God preached, you can see the effect it has on them, tears in their eyes. And yet there's a great danger, isn't there? To be like a scribe or a Pharisee, to be self-righteous. I'm all right, I go to church every Sunday. But if you're not born again of the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God does not bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, then you are a lost sinner. And your great sin is that of self-righteousness. You think by your own religious beliefs that you will uh, uh, be accepted of God. No, you won't. Only those who are born again of the Spirit of God are really living. John, who writes this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, later on in his life, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote his first epistle, John chapter 1. John, 1 John, the, the first letter of John. And in the fifth chapter in verse 12, he says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So my friend this morning, whatever your age this morning, 
If the Spirit of God does not bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, if you have not been born again, if you have not come to faith and repentance in our Lord Jesus Christ, you're not really living. It is only those who are born again who know that grace and that mercy of God. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So firstly, the danger which all people face will die in their sin. Secondly, the domain which people are under, for you are from beneath, you are of this world. And then thirdly, the doctrine which is essential for people to understand. And we have this in verses 25 to 27. Let me read these words. Then they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. The doctrine which is essential for all people to understand is the doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ. And that's the question I put to you this morning. Who do you think Jesus of Nazareth was. What is your doctrine of the person of Christ? That was the, one of the greatest questions that Jesus put to men and women and young people. In Matthew 24, 42, he said, Who do you think? What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? Can you answer me that question? Whose son is he? If I was to ask you at the door of the chapel before you left this morning, Whose son is Jesus of Nazareth? What would you say to me? The Bible clearly tells us that he is the Son of God, that he is the eternal Son of God, that before he was born the Son of Man in Bethlehem, he always was, eternally was, with the Father in heaven and with the Holy Spirit. He was there in the beginning, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we are told that. When Nathanael, one of the disciples, was called to follow Jesus, he said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King. Of Israel. In the previous chapter, in the seventh chapter, the religious authorities sent some officers to arrest Jesus, and they came back empty-handed. And those uh, religious men who sent these officers to arrest Jesus, why haven't you brought him, they said. And their answer was, no man ever spoke like this man. They recognized when they went to arrest Jesus that Jesus wasn't an ordinary man wasn't even a great man, but he was a unique man. No man ever spoke or acted like Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because he is the eternal Son of God. And it's not only the Bible that speaks of the historical Jesus, but other writers of the first century AD speak of Jesus of Nazareth. Flavus Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks of, him, of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is a historical person who walked this earth. The question you must ask, who is he? Only a man or is he the eternal son of God? And if you look at the evidence and you look at the evidence of his glorious resurrection, the apostle Paul um, was one who hated Christians, wasn't he? He was on a journey from Jerusalem uh, to Damascus to arrest uh, Christians and he met the risen Lord Jesus on that Damascus road and his life was changed. 
And when Paul sits down to write his letter to the Romans, that great Roman epistle, he says at the beginning in Romans 1.4 about Jesus, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Do you not think that the enemies of Jesus, the religious authorities, the Romans and everything else, would have done everything to say, well, Jesus hasn't risen, here's his body. But they couldn't find his body because he was risen from the dead. Paul says later in his letter to the Romans, he was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. If Jesus was a fraud, would the eternal God raise him from the dead? No, he was raised by God to declare that he truly was the Son of God, who he said he was. Then fourthly this morning, the destiny to which all people have brought Christ. The destiny to which all people have brought Christ. And we're here talking about the cross. And Jesus talks about the cross in verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he sent me, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. He's talking about lifted up. And when he talks about him being lifted up, he's talking about his cross. Remember elsewhere, he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's talking about the cross. When he was announced at the beginning of his public ministry by John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all people are involved in the destiny of Jesus as he comes to the cross of Christ. Those who end up in hell who have a part in his death by rejecting him. Remember the chief priests and others in John 19, 6? Uh, uh, Pilate said to him, what do you want me to do with Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews? Said, crucify him, away with him, crucify him. And do you remember that Pilate, we're told by Matthew in his gospel, in Matthew 27, 24, Pilate tried to wash his hands of the death of Jesus, but he couldn't. If we don't accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, We have rejected him. And those who end up in hell are those who have rejected Jesus Christ. You won't be able to say, will you? I never heard the gospel. Because on the 1st of May, 2022, you were at Billinghay Baptist Church for the morning service where the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ was preached. We are all involved in the destiny of Jesus. By rejecting him, we we are involved in his destiny. But secondly, those of us who are Christians here this morning, those of us who shortly will sit around the Lord's table and partake of the bread and the wine in acknowledgement of our Lord, thanking him because he is our saviour, that he has taken our sin upon himself at the cross of Calvary, we do this in remembrance of him. We have a part in his destiny that took him to the cross because he went to the cross for our sin. I well remember the night I was converted. On the Lord's Day evening, the 31st of October, 1965, when I realized for the first time in my life that the Son of God loved me 
and gave himself for me, that it was my sin that nailed him to the cross of Calvary. We've all nailed him. Those here who are unbelievers by their rejection of Christ, those here who are believers by him making atonement for our sin. And then, fifthly, we come to the decision which many people come to. We see this in verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. The decision to which many people come. Throughout Christ's ministry, many people believed in him. They were not indifferent to his words. With some, it was a nominal decision. With others, it was genuine faith as their Lord and Saviour. Christ never calls us to make a nominal decision. A nominal decision. To come to Christ is to come and take him as our Lord and Saviour. Many people during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus believed in him. There were many here, but look what happens later in verses 31 to 33. Then they... Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? See there the contradiction? They believed in him, but now they're questioning him. their word. It's nominal. They believe what they want to believe. Not all that Christ said. We've always been free. We're Abraham's children. Well, if they only thought about their history, Abraham's children ended up in bondage in Egypt, didn't they? And all men and women through the fallen Adam are in the bondage of sin, are dead in trespasses and sin, and need to be set free by the love of Christ. There are many people during the earthly ministry of Jesus who had a nominal faith. We read in, going back to John chapter 6 and verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And we read in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Christ doesn't call us to make decisions, he calls us to be disciples. I've heard people give testimonies that are not real testimonies. I've heard people say, on such and such a date, Jesus became my saviour. Then five years later, he became my Lord. That's not a testimony of the saving grace of God. When we savingly are brought to a knowledge of Christ, when we are savingly born again of the Spirit of God, he becomes both our saviour and Lord. We automatically desire to go in the way that the Lord wants us to go. Jesus gave that very helpful parable, didn't he, of the parable of the sower. We have it in Mark chapter uh, 4, the the four separate grounds. He he talks, doesn't he, there about the, the stony ground where the seed falls. And it springs up, but then dies away again and now he goes on to expound what that means he says some people make a a momentary decision to be disciples of jesus and then when hardship comes and commitment and persecution they fall away 
Others are like thorny ground where the seed fell, and the thorns grew up and choked the seed, and it died away. Those, he said, are the people that make a decision for Christ, and then they get caught up with the things of this world. But he says, some is falls on good ground, where some are thirtyfold, and some sixty, and some a hundredfold. There are true believers, where there is true growth. Jesus doesn't call upon us to make a decision. He calls upon us to become disciples, to take up the cross and follow him. And those who truly are committed to the Lord, who are born again, Paul says to them in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Those who are truly saved are kept by the grace of God to the very end. And then lastly, and sixthly, the deliverance which only some people experience. We see that in verses 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin, and the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Oh, dear friends, how wonderful that is. With the saving grace of God, there is not only a decision, but there is the deliverance from sin. That's not to say in, in this life until we die we will have sinless perfection. No. But we can know the help and the strength of God to overcome temptation and to say no and to stand with the Lord. Before I became a Christian, I tried self-reformation. I knew my life wasn't what it should be. And so I made New Year's resolutions on the 31st of December and by the 2nd of January to broken them all. Because of ourselves, we cannot do that which is right. But with the grace of God, with the help of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can know his strength and his help. That's the wonderful truth that we have. The Apostle John, later in 1 John 4, 4 says, he who, has this, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We can know the strength and the help and the power of God in temptations are. Paul says in Corinthians, doesn't he? Uh, no temptation is too great for us to overcome. But with temptation, he has made a way of escape. We all face temptation. Sometimes we fall into it. But we, God says to us, if we are born again of his spirit, that he can deliver us in temptation's hour. We can know his strength and his help and his enabling. Paul says uh, to those Christians at Corinth, therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the gospel is not just... Uh, forgiveness of sins and assurance of heaven when we die. It's more than that. The gospel is knowing the deliverance of the grace of God here and now. Knowing his help within us by the person of the Holy Spirit in being with us day by day as we walk and face this world. Knowing his strength and his enabling. Our passage ends with these wonderful words which I end with this morning. Therefore if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free. Indeed, if you want to be really free, only the Son of God can do that for you. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed.
Let us sing that great gospel hymn by Charles Wesley, 524, 524. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? 524. 